All right. Hey, it's so good to have you all out today. Um, I don't know if you know this, but God has been doing some pretty powerful things in, in our church. And um, I would love to actually at some point, maybe even in the next couple weeks, maybe next week, I don't know, but have a time where you just, you share about what God's been doing in your life. And uh, I'm, I'm hearing some crazy stuff, and I would love for all of you to hear the awesome things that God is doing. So maybe we'll do that sometime in the next couple weeks. Um, just a few things to share. I'm going to have our, our uh, ushers come this time. And uh, we're, as part of our morning service, we just love to give you an opportunity to give back to God and just worship Him with your giving. And so um, the bucket's going to sneak its way down your row. If you're a guest, there's no obligation to give whatsoever. But um, just an opportunity for you to give back to God. But a few things we want to put on your, um, your uh, radar. Um, this afternoon at 1230... Um, every year, our CTK network, all six of our campuses across Whatcom County, we get together and we just, we, we have a, a, a meeting, a family meeting we call it, where you have an opportunity to hear what God is up to through in, in the rest of our, 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 our churches, our campuses. And so that's today, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from all the campus pastors, you're going to get to hear some stories about how God is at work, you're also going to get updated kind of on some of the business side of things, and so... Um, but you're all invited to be a part of that. That's today at 12.30. There's going to be a, uh, a small lunch, and then you're going to have a chance just to kind of be updated on what's happening. I just, I encourage you, whether you're, um, maybe you know all the inner workings of what it means to be a part of a network, or maybe it's just kind of brand new to you, but I just encourage you to, if, if you can make it this afternoon to be a part of that, because um, we aren't just one campus here doing our own thing. We are part of a, a network that... Um, God is working in and through, and we just believe that God's got some big things in store for us, and you're a part of that. And so I, I encourage you to come and check that out. That's this afternoon at 1230. And then on um, this coming Saturday at 7 in the morning, um, all the men, you're invited to some coffee and donuts. It's going to be from 7 to 830, and uh, it's going to be, you're going to have a, a chance to hear um, some sharing and just to kind of connect with other dudes. And then also hear a little bit about some of the things that we're thinking for, for men in our church in the future. So that's this Saturday at what time? Seven. Seven. Okay, you're listening. Awesome. And then uh, we're going to bring, bring back Couples Night Out this year again. And that's going to be on March 1st. So put that on your calendar. It'll be uh, just a special night that, to hang out with your spouse and just have some fun together, some laughs, all that kind of good stuff. And then one last thing that, that I don't know if you know this by now, but on the first Sunday of every month, we have something after church. Anybody know what it is? Cookie Sunday. Come on. I thought you guys would be like jumping up out of your seats, just like hands raised. And I don't know. But that's, that's, that's today, right after church, cookies. We're, it's uh, something that we're doing on the first Sunday of every month, giving you an opportunity just to kind of hang out, connect. And, uh, and you don't have to stay for long. You can stay for just five, six minutes, scarf down some cookies, and then hit the road if you have to which is kind of going to be what I'm going to be doing. But if, if you can stay for a little bit of time or a long time, it doesn't matter. We just invite you to, to hang out and connect and get to know some, some people. It's going to be good. All right. Um, 8,000 years ago, if you had been walking through southern Oregon, the landscape would have looked— I'm just going to move this mic in a little bit. The landscape would have looked a lot different than it, than it does today. Um, a mountain actually once stood there called Mount Mazama. It, it, was, a, it was called Mount um, Moyena by the Native Americans, a name that simply meant Big Mountain. And it was aptly named because it was a snow-capped mountain that was 12,000 feet high, which is 
2,000 feet higher than Mount Baker. So this is, we're talking like a, a, a huge mountain. But today that snow-capped mountain is no longer there. Um, in its place is actually a, a giant hole in the ground. And uh, you, it, this, this mountain, you see, is, is uh, it, it was a, it's a volcano. It was a volcano. Or maybe it still is a volcano. But, but it was a volcano. And 8,000 years ago, it erupted in the largest eruption in the Cascade Mountain Range in, in, in history. It released 75 times more ash and debris than, than Mount St. Helens. And I don't know how they, they know this, but geologists actually have found ash from this mountain over in England. And even today, you can still find ash from this, this mountain um, scattered across North America. But what made this eruption so unusual and, and unlike any other is that it didn't just blow the top off the mountain, but what happened as this volcano was erupting and as the lava was churning underneath the mountain, it was forming all these big massive caverns and caves and, and eventually the shifts in the underlying bedrock caused the, the entire mountain to cave in on itself. And today, where once there was this towering mountain, now there is a lake, the deepest lake in all of America that has some of the clearest waters in the entire world. A lake, as you many have probably guessed by now, is known as Crater Lake. And as a result, though, of this extraordinary eruption, the landscape has been forever changed. Forever changed. And throughout church history, there, there have been moments when God would show up to a person. He would show up to a church. He would show up to a city or even a nation in such an extraordinary way that the spiritual landscape of that city, church, nation would be forever changed. These were moments where God would invade the, the kind of the ordinary rhythms of people's lives with, in such a disruptive, supernatural way that you could say it was miraculous. It was miraculous. These events couldn't be explained away as the result of good, good preaching or good worship or good services or good programs or, or the result of good people just doing good things. No, these moves of God were like seismic eruptions changing everything. Only they didn't bring devastation. They brought life and healing and joy and, and hope. These moves of God's spirit are, are so unusual that we even attach names to them to kind of set them apart from the usual workings of God in, in his church. Names like revival. Um, a name that I actually like better is, is, is awakening. It's a season where, where people's spiritual eyes are open to to. To, to grace, the grace of God. They're open to the truth of God. And it's, it's a season where dead hearts are awakened and brought back to life. And, and how this usually works is it usually begins with the church. The people of God begin to kind of get restless and they begin to get hungry for God. They're, they get dissatisfied with the way things have just been kind of floating along and they get a new sense of hunger. They begin to seek God. They get a new sense of passion, a new sense of just love for Jesus. They just grow weary of lifeless, ineffective, dull religion and they begin to cry out to God for something more. And usually when this happens, it doesn't just stay in the church. It actually spills over into the unchurched. They too have their eyes opened in an extraordinary way to the goodness of God, to their sin and need for repentance. 
And often people will just will, will come to Jesus in large numbers. The spiritual landscape that was dark is invaded by the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and it is forever shifted, forever changed. One of the most well-known of these awakenings in Scripture happened in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the grand cities of old. It was at the time a, a massive commercial, political hub of the ancient world. Um, but it was extremely wicked, extremely evil. They were known in the ancient world for their brutality, um, like the Romans would later on do. They were known for, for taking their enemies and just torturing them in the most sadistic, horrific ways. Um, they were just a very dark, idolatrous city. But God, who's a good God, doesn't abandon them. In his goodness, in his mercy, he begins to pursue them. He begins to go after them. And so what does God do? He begins to raise up this prophet, this guy named Jonah, to go to Nineveh and, and, and preach to them and, 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 and preach the word of God. But you know how the story goes. Jonah's like, no way, I'm not going to do that. My life is quite fine the way it is. And so Jonah hops on the, 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 the quickest ship that he can find. It's going to go the opposite direction of Nineveh through a bunch of events. Uh, Jonah's shipmates toss him overboard. Rather than drown, God sends along a big giant fish, swallows Jonah up. Eventually, the, the big giant fish gets tired of Jonah rumbling around in his tummy, vomits him out onto the land. True story, it's in, it's in the Bible. Didn't make that up. And the second time God sends Jonah, he goes to Nineveh. He kind of got the message that it's not going to work to do something else. And listen to how God moves in in what can only be considered a miraculous, supernatural way. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. The Bible says that Nineveh was so big, it took three days to go from one side to the other. He begins by going into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah is not a very good preacher. <laughs> you know, 40 days and your city is going to be overthrown. He is, he's no Billy Graham. He's no Stephen Furtick. You know, he doesn't have these big, cool illustrations about all this different stuff. He, he has no altar calls, no impassioned plea to come to God. He doesn't tell them about the beauty and the glory of God. It's probably the worst sermon ever preached in history. Jonah probably preached poorly on purpose because, as we see later in the story, he actually didn't even want Nineveh to repent. He despised the Ninevites. And yet, and yet, yet get this, get this. The Bible says, after Noah preached, or Jonah preached this very poor sermon, it says the Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, this is a city of over 400,000 people, all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king, so this is way outside God's people, when it reached the, the, the governments, the political leaders, of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. The king would make a royal decree saying, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's, this is a miracle. This is a miracle of awakening. God working through an unlikely person to break the hearts of the most hardened people and draw them to himself. And God takes a spiritual landscape that's barren, and like he did at creation, he speaks and it springs to life. 
And, and the, the history of, of our nation, America, is filled with these types of awakenings. So we're going to go on a little bit of a history lesson this morning. Um, in the 17th century, when, when the pilgrims first arrived in America, they arrived in America with a ton of spiritual fervor. They came expecting to, to build this nation that was going to be able to worship God and freedom and just establish this godly nation. And there was this genuine desperation for God. There was this genuine hunger for, for God. But as the land became tamed, prosperity grew, this desperation began to disappear. Eventually, the next generation became just enamored with increasing wealth and comfortable living. People became complacent. They stopped attending church services. Those who did attend just lacked a personal relationship with God. It had just become nothing but duty, and it just was going through the, the, the motions of ritual and ceremony. Pastors themselves didn't really have much of a relationship with Christ. But then the Spirit of God comes along and begins to breathe and begins to move. One historian described it like this. Then suddenly the Spirit of God awoke as though from an intense slumber. People from all walks of life, from poor farmers to rich merchants, began experiencing this renewal and rebirth. And then in 19, or 1727, this, this brilliant young man, but very monotone, unenthusiastic preacher, enters the picture. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He took over as pastor of a small church in Massachusetts, and he, he saw the spiritual deadness of this church. And so he just came and started to preach on sin and grace. This guy was very smart, but as far as preaching goes, he, he was, he's known as one of the most monotone, boring preachers ever. But he began to just preach on sin and grace. And by 1734, God began to break through in miraculous ways. Edwards wrote this. He said, the Spirit of God began extraordinary or miraculously to set in. Revival grew and souls did as it, as it wore, as he wrote way back then, come by floods to Christ. And over one six-month period, 300 people in this little tiny church came to Jesus. Pretty soon, people like John and Charles Wesley were on the scene. They were traveling the country, drawing these large crowds to their meetings where many, many people would come to faith in Jesus. Another man, something you've heard of, George, George Whitfield, he saw similar things through meetings he would conduct. Pretty soon, even the most ardent atheists were catching wind of what God was doing. It's very well known that Benjamin Franklin was a, uh, a friend of George Whitfield, and he was fascinated by the transformation that was happening through Whitfield's preaching, and he'd have him over and ask questions and just say, what's going on here? And, and despite all the transformation that was happening, though, not everybody was welcoming it in the church. The church, actually, a lot of people in the church were pushing back on it. They weren't too excited about the, the style of preaching, and they wanted more of a traditional style of preaching. And then others complained, oh, there's way too much emotions involved in this. It's just, it's just nothing but emotionalism. However, as a result of this great awakening, the number of believers in America grew exponentially. Denominational barriers fell down. There was this renewed passion for missions. New universities were created originally to train pastors and church leaders. Places like, like Princeton, Brown, these all were birthed out of the great awakening some people have even claimed that the, the American Revolution grew out of the, the Great Awakening because people who had experienced this, this spiritual freedom, now they wanted to experience a political freedom. In fact, the motto of the Revolutionary War was no king but King Jesus. And these awakenings, they didn't just change the church, they changed the entire nation. 
Movements like the, the abolition movement to free slaves that was birthed out of the Great Awakening. Even, even movements like the women's rights movement, those all sprang out of what God was doing in his church. More recently, there was an awakening in the 1940s on the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Western Scotland. It's become known as the Hebrides Revival. And, and it started like this. You know, so many of these, these moves of God, they start in the most unlikely ways. And what God had done is he had, he just began to lay it on these two ladies' hearts, Peggy and Christine Smith, 84 and 82 years old. One of them was blind. The other one was like hunched right over from arthritis. But God just began to put it on their hearts to pray. And they actually had this vision. And in this vision, they just saw their, their, their little church, they just saw their church packed with youth. Well, they had no youth even attending their church. But they got this vision, and they told their pastor about it, and he's like, we should just start praying. So these, these two little ladies just began to pray and to seek God. Their favorite time of the day to pray was actually from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. They would just seek God, go after him. One of the key verses that they prayed is found, found in Isaiah where God makes this promise. He says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land in streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Dads and moms, grandpas and grandmas, you got to grab a hold of that verse and pray that for your descendants. It's a promise. I will pour out my spirit. You know, I've watched videos of people who were, because this was the 40s, there's people, um, well, I'm not sure if they're alive now, but who were alive that were, it was, they were recording them being interviewed and just telling a little bit about what went on and just what it was like. And and, and you can just see the impact that this move of God had on them. But they would describe how the presence of God was so strong in that place that you could look out at night where there wasn't, you know, lights like we have here in Ferndale. But you could look out over homes, and it was like there was a glow over top of people's homes. On one particular night, after 30 or so people had gathered to pray, the Holy Spirit came and moved in a dramatic way. The following night, people began to just kind of show up from all over the island. Not even, nobody was even inviting them. It was just God put on their hearts, and they just began to show up. They crowded this building, and, and this just spread. And over the course of two years, 90% of, of the island were saved. It's crazy. One of the key figures in the Hebrides revival was a pastor named Duncan Campbell. And, and he explained what makes a revival or an awakening different from other moves of God, like, like a special meeting or, you know, sometimes we hear about evangelistic campaigns. And he said, an evangelistic campaign or special meeting is not revival. In a successful evangelistic campaign or crusade, there will be hundreds or even thousands of people making decisions for Jesus Christ. But the community remains untouched and the churches continue much the same as before the outreach. In revival, God moves in the district. Suddenly, the community becomes God-conscious. The Spirit of God grips men and women in such a way that even work is given up as people give themselves to waiting upon God. The, this presence of God is the supreme characteristic of a God-sent revival. Of the hundreds who found Jesus Christ during this time, fully 75% were saved, catch this, before they came near a meeting or heard a sermon. It's crazy. The power of God, the Spirit of God was moving in operation, and the fear of God gripped the souls of men. This is God-sent revival as distinct from special efforts in the field of evangelism. In the late 1990s, God again showed up 
um, in a powerful, powerful way to a little village called Pond Inlet. And this little village of about 1,300 people, it's actually situated way up in northern Canada, right on the Arctic Circle. It's, it's a community of Inuit people, and they've lived, they've lived in that city with just incredible spiritual darkness. Uh, all kinds of physical, sexual abuse. Um, things were actually so bad in this community that, that Canada's national TV station, the CBC, they actually went up into Pond Inlet, and they did a documentary on Pond Inlet, and they found that the suicide rate in this little tiny village was 20 times the suicide rate of the rest of the nation. Drug, drugs and alcohol addiction were everywhere. Um, it was so bad that on the days where alcohol was delivered into this nation, or this, this village, the whole town would be drunk at the same time. But there was this remnant of believers in this village who loved Jesus and who knew that who he was. They knew that he had the power to save and to heal. And, and much like in other places, they just, be, they just begin to cry out to God in their desperation. I mean, they're looking around at the, the, the way that the enemy was, was just bringing devastation and destruction. They just begin to cry out to God. And when they did... Um, God began to move, and what they actually described this as not just, I mean, they would describe their prayer meetings and just tell about how there were, what times they were just wailing because they were just in so much pain and so desperate for God to move. And God made a promise that they were hanging on to, and his promise was, was this. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. And the Holy Spirit began to move in Pond Inlet in miraculous ways. A fear of God just kind of fell on the people and this desire for holiness and for righteousness just fell on them. And they, they, they actually had these, these moments where they would gather all their, their drugs and their porn and, and anything that would get in the way of them and God, and they'd make these big piles, and they would just burn it all up, and the police from the, the town would actually provide the gasoline. I mean, they just knew how bad things were, and the suicide rate, uh, rate began to drop. People encountered God in just some extraordinary ways. One afternoon, um, after uh, this, uh, this whole move of God had gone on for a couple years, and one afternoon, they had actually noticed how some of their youth were starting to kind of slip back in, into the world. And so they decided, okay, we're going to have an afternoon youth service. And we're just going to go after our teenagers. We're just going to believe God do some great things. And in the middle of this service, they begin to hear this distant roar, like the sound of a, of a, of a jet engine. And it got louder and louder and louder. And here's the thing. Jets don't fly into a little village on the Arctic Circle. And uh, the pastor everybody's hearing this sound, and so the pastor actually ran back to the soundboard and turned down everything, but the sound just got louder and louder and louder, and they described how the building literally began to shake. It was Acts 2 all over again, where Scripture says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You can this afternoon actually go on YouTube and do a search, Pond Inlet Revival, and you can, they, the it was miraculously recorded, this whole thing, and it's like, it'll send shivers up your spine, listening to this sound of this jet engine and listening to the people describe what happened, and they can barely even describe it. Just tears are falling down their face. 
but it was this incredible encounter with God. And although these, these kind of moves of God are miracles, and only God can make miracles happen, we, we do play a part. We play a part. And it's just how God works. God wants to do something in, in somebody's life. He wants to do something in a church. He wants to do something in a city. He wants to do something in a nation. And, and God, when he wants to do something, he, he brings us in on it. That's how God works. He's, yes, he's big. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to partner with us in his mission on this earth. You know, we, we can't, hearing all these stories, we, we can't go out and manufacture an awakening, a revival, any more than, you know, we hear stories about God healing people, and we can go out and manufacture a supernatural healing. You can't. These, these are works of God's spirit. However, Scripture and history, it does show that, that God invites us to play a part in an awakening just like he does with other miracles. And I just want to give you two ways this morning that, that God does this. One, one, the first is this. A miracle of awakening starts when God's people begin to pray. It starts when God's people begin to pray. D.L. Moody, the great preacher, he, he's, he once said that every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure we read that verse earlier where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? Pray. When we pray. In Acts 2, arguably the greatest awakening in all of history, Acts chapter 2, the, the Spirit comes down on, on, on the church in and, and just this powerful way. You read the verse, the, the, the sound of like a violent wind, place shaking, tongues of fire, just this crazy, crazy scene. That day, the Bible says, 3,000 people that day gave their lives to Christ. Well, how did all this begin? The Bible tells us, it says, um, prior to all this happening, a group of about 120 men and women, including Jesus' disciples, it says in Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. And as they begin to pray, as they begin to press into God, as they begin to respond to God's call on their lives to pray and to seek his face, God shows up. And, and you know, one of the reasons that we don't see powerful, miraculous moves of God is simply because we don't ask for it. We don't ask for it. And he, like, just even now, like, ask yourself, what, have you ever asked God, Lord, show up in, in my city, in my nation God, bring re revival, bring awakening. God, this stuff that we hear about you doing in places like Nineveh or, or Jerusalem with the early church in Acts 2, God, would you do that here in my, my, in my home, in my school? God, would you come and move like that today? And if we don't ask, you have not because you ask not. God invites us to ask and to seek him and to, and, and to not just, you know, for a little bit, but to, 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 to be like that persistent widow that just keeps knocking on the door of heaven, asking God to move. I love this story of the, this 84 and 82-year-old lady who just, they, they were desperate. They're like, hey, we don't have much more time, but we're going to spend the time that we have. We're just going to pursue God. We want to see this building filled with youth, like this vision that they had. They pressed in, and God moved. So one of the ways is that a, a, a miracle of awakening starts is when God's people, when you and I begin to pray. And then the second thing is this. It's, it's have faith to believe that it can and will happen. Have faith to believe that it can and will happen. And as we've been seeing in this series, faith, when it comes to miracles, faith is just so important. 
It's such a big part of the miraculous. And a big reason um, faith matters so much is because if we don't believe it can, can happen, we'll never ask in the first place. Why would you ask for something if you don't believe it's going to happen? Why would you ask God to heal your body if you don't think that he's going to ever do it or he can't do it? Why would you ask God to save your, your kids or your spouse or your friends if you don't believe that God's going to do it? But if you have faith to believe, if you know who God is, you know how big he is, you know that anything is possible for the one who believes, you're going to ask. Faith plays this, this huge, huge, huge part in it. And faith, it, it keeps you expecting. It keeps you expecting. You know, I personally have had different seasons in my life where I've just been going hard after this. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about different miracles. And when you look, when you look at miracles, there's really all the miracles that God does fall into one of four categories. One is deliverance, where God comes along, He just sets someone free from demonic activity. You see Jesus doing this all the time. Uh, another one is healing, where God comes along, he brings physical healing or mental, emotional healing. Um, another miracle is, is a miracle of provision. Some of you have had God do that. You just, you were in a desperate place. You didn't have a job. You had no way of getting one, and God comes along, and he provides. And the fourth category is a, is a miracle of protection. And, and you could, we probably have stories in this room about how God came along and he protected you, maybe in a moment, you know, some kind of accident that you were in or could have been in on the, the, the road and God just protected you. But there's these four different categories. And one of the things about this miracle that we're talking about, the miracle of awakening, is it's when all those categories are just like, they're happening. In droves, people are experiencing salvation, they're experiencing healing, they're experiencing freedom, they're experiencing life, protection, all these different things. God's providing in miraculous ways. And, and this is probably, for me personally, just has been something that for whatever reason, I just, I, I've, I've just wanted this. I've, I've wanted this, to see this happen. And, and there were, were moments when I was in my early 20s where I would, I just, I, I would, would just be desperate. I, I remember just literally like being in, in the church and just praying and just tears coming down my face, just crying out desperately for God to move in my church and for God to move in my city. But then the passion would kind of wane and then it just kind of going on with business as usual. But it, it wouldn't be long where something inside of me, you know, that voice would come along and God would just begin to whisper, hey, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And this new desperation would come. Well, a couple years ago, um, I was just spending some time with God in prayer about this, and, and I was reading this, that story in the Bible. You know, Jesus has just been born, and he goes to the temple to be, um, his parents take him to the temple to be circumcised, and they run into two people there. They run into uh, a man named Simeon and a lady named Anna, who are just overjoyed when they see Jesus. And, and it, it says this about Simeon. It says that when he saw Jesus, eight-day-old Jesus, this baby Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he just like instantly knew that Jesus was the Messiah. That in itself was just a miracle. Here comes this, I mean, just imagine like someone comes walking with a little baby. You just instantly know, oh, this, this baby is great things. Great, great things. And, and scripture says how he knew. It says, it says that it had been revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And so I read that, and, I, and, I, and, as, and as I read that, I, I, I prayed this bold prayer. I said, God, would you promise me, like you promised Simeon, God, would you promise me, God, that before I die, I'll see like a, a revival, an awakening happen in my, my city and in my nation. 
And no sooner had I said that when I sensed that God was saying, Rich, I've already made the promise. Have you not read in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, your, your young people, your youth, your kids, they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And the question is this for you and me this morning. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe it or not that, that God has poured out his spirit? And the question is whether or not we really want that. Do we really want that? Because, you know, when you, you look at history, and I just kind of gave you like a, an, just a, a quick glance at some of these, these revivals and these awakenings that have happened throughout history. We didn't really go into the details of it. You can do that this afternoon if you like, but when you get into the details, you realize that this, there's messiness that comes with it. Not everybody is, is super excited when God begins to move in, in these, these powerful ways. Yeah, there, there's, there's a joy and a life that comes, but there's, there's also a cost that comes with it as well. But the question is that I think God is asking us this morning is do you really want that? Do you really want that? God says, I have poured out my spirit. I have poured out my spirit on you. I, I poured out my spirit on the, our church. And the question for you and I is, are, are we going, okay, yeah, we're, God, we're not happy with where we're at. God, we want to see you do more. God, we want to see you work in power. God, we want to see you cause a, 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 an eruption, so to speak, in the spiritual landscape of not only our church, but of our city, our nation. And God, here we are. God, we're your, we're, we're your vessels. God, we're surrendered to you. God, whatever you want to do, however you want to work through us, God, here we are. The question that God just wants to ask us is, is that where we're at this morning? Is that where you're, you're at this morning? I'm going to, as we wrap up, I'm going to have the worship team, worship team, if you could come up at this time. And as the worship team pray, plays this morning, I just want you to have a moment, and I love to do this, where, where this, this, whatever it is that I'm preaching on, where you just have a moment between you and the Holy Spirit. And as they pray, I'm going to ask you right across this room, those of you that are watching online too, if you could just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. The Holy Spirit is here this morning in power. And I just think, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak to you as you ponder this question? How bad do I want to see God work like Rich described this morning? Am I desperate? For revival in my church and city and nation? Or am I just okay kind of just carrying on doing life the way I've been doing it? My faith looking the way it's always looked and my church life looking the way it's always looked. I'm just kind of, am I just okay with the rhythms of my spiritual life? Or do I want God to come along and cause a holy eruption to happen in my heart and soul that's going to spill over into my church, my, my school, my workplace, my home, my community, even Lord willing, my nation. Just take, just take a moment this morning just to, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to show you where you're at. Where you at.
Christ, God, we see how the enemy is working. And, and at times, God, it seems like the enemy is even winning. God, we hear crazy stats about how 85% of teenagers, when they graduate and they head off to college or whatever is next in life, 85% of teenagers will walk away from their faith. God, that's a number that I... That's, 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 that's not winning. God, that's the enemy winning. God, we look at the destruction that the enemy is bringing to, to marriages and that the enemy is bringing to homes and, 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 and the addiction. God, even just the, the, the amount of drugs, God, that is creeping into our own city. God, addiction rampant. If we just open our eyes to see, God, it's, it's everywhere. And God, we, we see that, and it looks like the enemy is winning. So God, this morning, God, as your people, we, we ask, Lord, for a miracle. Something that we can't do, God, in our own strength. God, no amount of good preaching, good any church program stuff, God, no amount of us doing good things, being nice, kind, loving, God, all those things that are good and that you call us to do, but God, it's, it's not enough, God. We need your spirit, God. Would you come along and do something, God, here in our day that can only be credited to a, a powerful move of your Holy Spirit? God, we ask for that. We ask for that. God, would you rise up? God, would you rise up? God, we, like we read in Scripture where, where, it, where you rise up and you raise up a new standard. You raise up truth and righteousness and holiness. God, you raise up a people that are going to pursue you. They're going to love you with everything they have. God, a people whose lives are going to be just completely surrendered to you. God, would you do that? Would you do that? God, we're asking, Lord, for a miracle today. We're asking for a miracle. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to move. God, God, we're not content, God, just to hear about how you've moved in the past. God, we're not content to just to hear about how you're moving in other places around the world. God, we celebrate that. Yeah, we're excited about that. But God, we ask that you would do that here. God, start with us. God, start with our hearts. God, come and do that in, in me. God, come do something new in me. God, something fresh in me. God, in, in, in our homes, God, in our families, in our marriages, in our kids. God, would you come and do something new and fresh in us? God, would you stir up a hunger for you that we've never had before, a desire for you that we've never had before? God, I pray for our teenagers, God, that are part of this church, that God, they would hear you speaking to them and calling them to yourself in a way that they've never heard before. God, would you, would you do something God, it's just going to bring you honor and glory. God, would you cause revival and awakening to break out, cause it to break out, cause it to break out among us. And God, may there be new 